Our scripture lesson today, friends, comes from the book of Hebrews. Um, If you noticed in your bulletin that it says Old Testament and you went, that's not where that is, congratulations, you have passed the test. (laughs) Um, We definitely did that on purpose. (laughs) Um, But it is from the book of Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, and then we're going to skip down and pick back up at verse 8 and read through 16. Hear now the word of God. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen but not made out of what is visible. And then verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even though he was past age, Abraham and Sarah herself was barren. They were enabled to become a father and a mother because God considered them faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, as he, good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the shore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have never had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for God has prepared a city for them. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Do you feel heavy today? Maybe yes, maybe you had a really big breakfast. Maybe you're like me and you are really sweaty right now because it's really hot in here. I feel really heavy today, and I don't mean that in the literal sense, I mean it in like the metaphorical sense. This week's scripture always makes me feel really heavy, and part of that, I must admit, is because of my own shortcomings. I don't like preaching the epistles. I don't like preaching the letters in the Bible because they're not stories. They're not things I can easily grasp. They're deep, they're theologically complicated, they are frustrating to understand, and sometimes they're just really difficult. Today's scripture out of Hebrews always makes me feel so heavy, and that's because it tells us so much about faith in this really compact way, and faith is such a like heavy, delicate thing. As a pastor, I'm always aware of the fact that to be in a pulpit is to have power, right? All of you right now are listening to me, and you didn't even pay to do it. (laughs) 
To be in a pulpit is to have power. And sometimes people in pulpits say things that are really harmful about faith. Faith is a heavy topic. It's hard to define. It's something we all talk about, and sometimes we talk about it in this very frilly, unrealistic way. Faith is a concept that if you grew up in any sort of religious tradition, you're probably familiar with, but especially in Christianity. Surely some of our favorite hymns are about faith, about trusting in God, about feeling really inspired by the strength of the Christians who came before us, whether that be your own family members, whether that be the people in the Bible. Faith is often something we have role models in. Faith involves trust. It involves believing in God. It involves letting go of yourself, letting go of control. It's this willingness to answer what God has laid before you, even if you don't know exactly what that thing God has laid before you is. And it means you're going to spend years wandering in a foreign place in a desert and never meet the promised land. That's the reality of this text. And that's why it feels so heavy, because faith isn't a light, frilly thing. It is hard when it hits the ground. Hebrews 1 tells us that faith is the support. It's the steadiness. It's the assurance of everything we've hoped for. And it's the proof of things we haven't yet seen. And then Hebrews goes into telling us about Abraham. And this is the part of the scripture that I kind of really like and also really hate. Because it's a tangible thing. We're not just talking it anymore. The writer is like, here's an example. Abraham is this man found in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. And he's known to be this big icon. He's a leader of faith. And Hebrew reminds us of what we often call Father Abraham, if you know the little, like, kid song. (laughs) Hebrews reminds us of his story. In faith, Abraham obeyed God's call on his life. And by obeying that call, God entered a covenant with Abraham, promising that from him there would come many nations and many people and many lands that Abraham's people would count more than the stars in the sky and the sands on the beach. If you haven't heard the story of Abraham in a while or you're not familiar with it, that's okay because I'm going to catch us up on it right now with a very short Cliff Notes version. Abraham obeys God. God calls Abraham out of his home and so he goes, not knowing where God is calling him or where he's going. He spends years in the wilderness that God has called him into, years in this foreign land in faith. In faith, Abraham does what God tells him to do. In faith, Abraham is delivered a child along with his wife, Sarah, a barren woman, a son which the two of them call Isaac. In faith, God comes to Hagar when Abraham abandons her and their child, promising that they too shall have a claim to nations. In faith, Abraham pleads for the life of all who might be righteous in Sodom to be spared. In faith, Abraham and Sarah themselves were spared by the Pharaoh in Egypt. In faith, Abraham takes his son Isaac and lays him on the altar to die. 
This is a story in the Bible we don't often touch on. Abraham's faith is big, and we love to admire that. But then when we look at the details, maybe we don't want to admire that. Maybe we don't want to admire the fact that he spent years and years and years in the wilderness. Or maybe we don't want to admire the fact that he laid his only child on an altar to die. In faith, Sarah and Abraham died. In a foreign land, God brought them into before they ever saw the promised land. Before they saw the promise God had made for their people realized. In faith, Abraham and Sarah enter into heaven, not looking back towards the seemingly unfulfilled promises, but instead looking toward the promise of the kingdom of God. I think when we read these passages as they're recounted in Genesis, I mean, as they're recounted in Hebrews and told in Genesis, it just seems so unbelievably unrelatable, right? When I really look at it, I don't want any part of Abraham's life. Do not sign me up for that. I don't want to live in the desert. I don't want to wander for years. I don't want to be a jerk who takes my wife's servant as my own. I don't want to do any of the things he did. I don't want to be a parent at 90. None of these things are appealing. Nothing about Abraham seems relatable, especially when you hear about how amazing he is. How he's just this beautifully faithful person. This person who lives a life that is full and blessed by God. He seems so flawless and his faith seems so large. And it seems to come to him so easily. And that is not relatable. At least not to me. We hear this story and other stories about characters in the Bible who are so faithful, and it just feels like that level of faith has to be unattainable. It's intimidating. And it's not just Abraham. The Bible is full of people with faith that just seems so large and unimaginable and intimidating. We hear a number of stories about faith in the Bible over and over again. The book of Daniel tells us about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men who are thrown in a furnace for their faith and are literally spared from the fire as it rages around them for the same faith. In John, we hear the story of a sick boy who's unable to speak, who has seizures, and so his father comes to Jesus desperate for his son to be healed, and though his plea to Christ might seem desperate, it's heard. Christ helps him in his unbelief, and his son is healed. In both Luke, Matthew, and Mark, we hear this story of a woman who has the issue of blood, who bleeds for 38 years, who's outcast from her community and comes to a crowd she certainly was not welcome in, a woman who isn't supposed to touch other people, and reaches out and grovels at the hem of Jesus' cloak. A woman who boldly reaches out in faith just for the bottom of Jesus' cloak and receives a miracle. Faith is difficult because these people, these biblical characters, are really hard to live up to when we look at them. And like I said, I don't really want to be any of them. I don't want to be thrown in a furnace and see if I live. (laughs) 
I don't want to bleed for 38 years. Like, nothing about this is appealing. Faith is difficult because I think for many of us, if not all of us, the idea of doing any of these things just is like deeply unappealing. The idea of leaving your homes and your loved ones, obeying God, truly obeying God, pleading at the feet of Jesus in desperation, literally gasping at Christ's hymn, seems far-fetched. And it seems really vulnerable. There's a vulnerability to faith. Everything about these models of faith is raw. Nothing about their lives is necessarily pretty, and it's in these deeply vulnerable, authentic moments that they seem to find miracles. I think faith is difficult because many of us things that make us question, face things that make us question it in the first place, that make us question God. There's tragedies, there's loss, there's depression, there's horrors in our country, in our community that make us go, God, what are you doing? Why have you brought me into this wilderness place? Wilderness doesn't have to be a desert land. And perhaps you yourself have experienced this. Wilderness doesn't have to be being taken out into the middle of nowhere and living off the land and getting sunburnt and all of those sorts of things. Wilderness can just be a time in your life when everything is absolutely barren, when there is nothing to sustain you, when you're outside of a place of comfort, when you feel unloved, when you just feel like God isn't there. And you're going, God, why'd you bring me into this place? I listened to you and this is what you gave me. Wilderness looks like injustice. It looks like grief. It can be a state of being, a difficult period in our lives. Sometimes in the church, I think we fail to acknowledge this or even shame people who feel this. But the reality is a lot of us live in the wilderness a lot of the times and we're just pretending that we're not there. And when somebody's bold enough to say, I feel like I'm in the wilderness and I feel like I'm crying out to God and God isn't hearing me back. We just tell them their faith isn't big enough. But maybe we're the ones who don't have big enough faith. At some point, we are all going to have wilderness experiences. If you haven't had it yet, I don't know how, one, I feel like I've had like 50 million and I'm 28, so like, there's a lot coming. But they're just a part of life. They're a part of existing in a world where God isn't constantly with us. They're a part of being outside of the Garden of Eden and separate from the kingdom of heaven. Wilderness experiences are this place where we feel like God's brought us into something and we don't know why. We've just been dropped there to wander aimlessly until God seems to show back up and we're led out of the wilderness again and it all makes sense. The thing about wilderness experiences is that we forget God never leaves us. That God exists in the wilderness too. We see this show up over and over again in scripture. The entire time Abraham is wandering around trying to figure out what he's doing, God is there. The entire time Hagar exists in the wilderness, God appears to her. 
In fact, she's the first person to name God out in the wilderness alone with a child who's been abandoned. As easy as it is to read these stories and see someone who's unwavering in their faith, someone who's perfect in their belief, I think that would probably be deeply untrue. Because Abraham is human, and if I know anything about humanity, it's that we don't do that. Someone as mighty and even as faithful as Abraham might has been, there's no way he didn't struggle. And it's got to be written down in here somewhere. I didn't grow up in a tradition that memorized the scripture, but like it's got to be in there. If it's not, we probably just didn't write it down. What I love and what I hate about Hebrews is it tells us God promised Abraham and Sarah more descendants. God promised them land to call their own. And that's wild because Sarah was barren. And when they did have a child, they only bore one. And like, that's not quite outnumbering the stars. (laughs) They were promised land of their own. But Sarah and Abraham were a nomadic people. They're pilgrims. They didn't have land to call their own. A large portion of it, or even a nation, seems ridiculous. And by the end of their time, they really still don't have that. In faith, they answer God's call, and Hebrews tells us that they never see the promises God made them come to full fruition. They died in the wilderness. Indeed, the promises did come. Their descendants were more than the stars, and they did become a great nation. But Sarah and Abraham didn't see the promise fully fulfilled. Their faith was strong, And sometimes the outcome didn't match what they thought it would. When I read the scripture, I like to think, what would I be if I were Abraham and Sarah? How would I feel? Can I imagine leaving everything behind and following God into a foreign land, into this dangerous situation, Having a baby I was never supposed to have, also just like the idea of being a subservient wife just like really weirds me out. That whole part of the story is a no for me. (laughs) Being asked to lay your miracle child on the altar, this child you weren't supposed to have and longed for and were blessed with, being asked to give it up, absolutely not. Spending your entire life looking for something that never happens. There's moments when Abraham and Sarah are out in the wilderness and they have to just think, my people are hungry, they're thirsty, I'm hungry and thirsty. God, what are we doing here? Why am I not at home? As Abraham and Sarah wonder the wilderness with servants, with their community, they had to watch people die. They had to live in years of discomfort, years of being without a home. And I just wonder how many days Abraham woke up and heard the cries of the people around him and cried out himself. How many days they thought, God, why haven't we reached the promised land yet? 
it's like, this is not a good analogy, but kind of, it literally sounds like spending 40 years in a car on the way to Disney World with a bunch of kids and never getting there and just constantly being asked, are we there yet? Like, this is what this sounds like to me. <laughs> how many days, how many times did Abraham think to himself, I wish I hadn't done this? How was he able to trust God? Even if God spared his child, how was he able to lay his child upon an altar? And when that child didn't die, did he not wake up the next day and wonder if God was actually going to take him this time? How many moments did his faith just fold over in the waiting? Did he yell and scream and kick the sand? Did he get mad at God? I think Abraham and Sarah had to be full of questionings, full of hunger and thirst. Frustrated that their life is in danger. Frustrated when Sarah still hasn't had the baby she's supposed to have. Frustrated that the promised land just isn't here yet. These stories of amazing faith sometimes don't apply to our lives when we hold them up here and ourselves down here. But I think the truth is we're probably about on the same level. And when we level ourselves with folks like Abraham and Sarah, when we realize they're human and they probably feel about as frustrated and angry and hurt and confused as we do when it comes to faith, I think the story is more relatable than we know. The truth is there are people who die every day full of faith who never see God's promise realized, who never see their hopes fully fulfilled. Historically, we know this to be true. It happens over and over again. There's people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a prominent theologian who outwardly preached against the Nazi party and was put to death before he ever saw the end of the world and the Nazi party fall. There's people who lived their lives fully in slavery before ever seeing people reach freedom. That promised land was there and they didn't get to it. When I was in divinity school, I spent time in Mexico, multiple times, um, going through trips to learn about the difficulties of immigration and to see the paths that people take when they walk and cross into the United States. And so literally it was hiking through the desert um, in parts of Mexico and Arizona and spending time at shelters in Tijuana and those sorts of things. And as you do that, you see people's belongings literally laying in the desert. And you see crosses because there's a man who creates crosses and puts them out for people who die on that trek who never make it. The truth of the matter is there are people who have deep faith and don't make it to the hope and the promise that is there. It happens every day that people who are looking for home and don't get it, that people feel God's called them to something and it feels like it doesn't happen. That is a truth of life and it makes faith really hard to have. How do we maintain faith when there's a chance our hopes won't be fulfilled? When there's a chance the promised land's there and we won't get it. It feels like we get the short stick. 
right? If other people actually get to walk into it and we just get to watch it from heaven, it feels like we get the short stick and we miss the part where we get to watch it from heaven. We struggle to imagine having faith so large that when things around us are falling apart, when life is hard, when we're faced with the reality that we might not ourselves get where we want to get, we feel ashamed that our faith isn't enough and scared that God won't show up because of a lack of faith. What if these biblical heroes, though, what if Abraham, what if his faith isn't really large or as unattainable as it seems? What if his faith is just incredibly small? What if the faith of most of the people in the Bible is just incredibly small and they're just like us and they're wandering around and they're doing the best they can and they followed God into this call and it makes absolutely no sense, but you're here and that's better than going back. What if their faith is less like a shouting and more like a really desperate whisper asking for God to just show up, for God to have mercy, for God to sit next to them while they try to make it through the wilderness they found themselves in? What if Abraham and Sarah and all these great champions of faith is less bold and more like a small, unsure series of steps? knowing God is next to them. I don't think faith is necessarily stepping into fire because God has made you strong. I think faith can be hoping and praying that when flames are just engulfing your life and smoke is beginning to suffocate you, it's knowing God is going to be there with you in that. That you won't suffocate alone. I think faith is knowing that Christ will heal your son. And also a faint cry for God to offer something that seems virtually impossible. Maybe faith isn't boldly approaching Christ and looking him in the eye, but literally just grasping at the hem of Christ's cloak when he's turned around and doing something else, hoping that that's enough. I don't think faith has to be these big, grand grand gestures, but it can just be really small things that seem meaningless and make all the difference. I think if these stories of faith tell us anything, it's not that our faith has to be bold and unwavering or that we constantly fall short. I think it's telling us that maybe faith is knowing even if you die and your eyes fail to see the promised land, If it fails to see the hopes and dreams you thought were coming, you were a part of the work and God was with you at every single moment. That while you might be gone for the earth, God is still present and working and healing and making the things that you dreamed of possible. Faith is knowing that while you might not get to the promised land on earth, there's another promised land. And while we can get stuck on the things we don't attain, we could also get stuck on the fact that we get to sit in heaven. And that's like way better. (laughs) These stories tell us God is large and can do wondrous things with people who are broken and messed up and barren and clueless. They tell us that faith so small, even as small as a mustard seed, can make miraculous things happen, that it matters. 
that faith which is frail and quiet and weak is still faith and it's still good enough. So friends, I think the good news that we can find in this scripture lesson today is not that your faith needs to be large or unwavering. In fact, I think it's the opposite. I think the scripture tells us that wherever we are, God meets us. That your faith can be broken, it can be unsure, it can be angry, it can be questioning, it can be what it is. It can be small and weak, and faith that even looks like that matters to God. It can be nurtured and grown into something. It can be met and loved. If you're somebody who's in a wilderness right now, if you're someone who's been in them, I've been there. I literally spent years of my life at one point convinced that God had abandoned me, that God just absolutely had hated me, and I wasn't called to ministry anymore. Because I would call out and feel like God wasn't there, and I'd approach the communion table, and I didn't feel God ever meet me there. If you're there, it happens. And my hope for you is that whether or not you ever feel God calling back, you know where you are right now, or the things that are coming, that God's going to be with you in that wilderness and in that pain. That's the promise of faith. That even if you never get to the things you hope for, that if you feel deep suffering and wondering, that God is there in every moment. And that your faith, however small it is, is still significant to God. Thanks be to God. Sorry, something is, I'm not crying, but something is in my eye right now. (laughs) I just couldn't see half of you for a moment there. At this time, friends, I would like to invite you to join me for our communion liturgy, which is found on page 12 in your hymnals, for this reaffirmation of our faith. Christ's Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Merciful God, We confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. And we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. And continuing on page 13. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. 
And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join in their unending hymn. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and by the Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, Jesus took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many. For the forgiveness of sins, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim together the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again.